I want to um, let you in on a little secret as we open. I'm sure this isn't universals. I'm sure there's exceptions to every rule. But by and large, I think it's true to say that pastors hate presidential election years. And you can know why, right? Because it seems like in presidential election years, we bow to this temptation and we take all of the Christian ethic and Christ-like living that we aspire to walk into and it's like it falls off and is erased and instead we take our cues from the world and our political parties which are temporary and going to go away and we trade them for what's eternal and we cut each other down. Now this doesn't happen here in this church. It doesn't happen here. You know that. This happens in churches in Illinois, Minnesota. It doesn't, doesn't happen ever here. But this kind of thing goes on, and, and pastors aren't immune to this either. But we see this inconsistency, especially in presidential election years. And James, the author of the book that we're going to look at today, identifies inconsistencies in our lives. He calls it double-mindedness. He calls it a person who has two souls, one soul in the ways of the world and one soul in the ways of God. And he says, we don't want to live like that. We don't want to be people who are divided. We don't want to be people who are inconsistent. We want to be people who are whole. So we're in a series as we go through the book of James called Becoming Whole. We're on a quest for wholeness. We're on a quest to be in that place where our walk matches our talk, where what we believe is displayed through our life and through our actions, and today we're going to look at through our words. Throughout the book of James, God gives us this pathway of wholeness. He gives us a pathway of how we can turn more and more of our brokenness over to him and receive more and more of his wholeness and likeness in us. The passage we're going to look at this morning focuses on one aspect of wholeness displayed in our life, and that is our speech, or our words, or in this day and age, what we post, and what we text, and what we type. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Could a bigger lie ever be said, right? If we could scan this room, all of us, and there'd be like an indicator light on somebody's life who has been deeply, deeply wounded by words somebody said, we would be overcome with what we saw. Words do hurt. And the question before us this morning is, do the words that we put out into the world, either through our mouths or through our posts or through our texts, do they reflect the wholeness of Jesus in our life or do they reflect the brokenness of our sin? I think many of us would say, myself included, that oftentimes, unfortunately, more than most, it reflects the brokenness of our sin. We need God when it comes to this issue, don't we? So before we dive in, I invite you just to bow your heads with me as I pray and ask for God's help. Lord Jesus, we come before you, our Savior, the one who can give us wholeness in life. 
And we lay our hearts before you. And we ask that if there's anything in us that's offensive or wicked towards you, would you put your finger on it graciously and gently and lead us to everlasting wholeness, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up to James chapter 3. I'm going to be focusing on the first 12 verses. If you're using a Bible in our worship center, I'll be on page 978. And in this passage, James gives us three ideas regarding our tongues. And it probably goes without saying, but when he talks about our tongues in this passage, that's the word he uses, he's talking about the words that come out of our life. But for our context, we're going to say not just spoken words, but uh, typed words, posted words, texted words. All of that coming out of our life is what he is looking at. And in this passage, James takes the book of Proverbs in a way, and he highlights that through different means. He looks at Proverbs 10.19 where it says, when there are many words, sin is unavoidable, but the one who controls his lips is prudent. The principle here is when there's a lot of words present, sin is not absent. We have to take notice and be cautious with what we say. And before he gives us three incredible ideas about our tongues, he gives us some general words that are helpful. Look at verses 1 and 2 of James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That's something that shouldn't be rushed into. It's something that those of us who teach the Bible, if we're thinking soberly and rightly, come with great fear and trembling. And he lays out the rest of this chapter why that should be. And then in verse 2, look at the picture he paints. We all stumble in many ways. That's reality. We all stumble in many ways. And then he gives us this vision for what we can become. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Another word that, that could be translated there is complete able to keep their whole body in check. So he's saying if you are at a spot where you can control your tongue, you can control the rest of your self. In verse 2, he gives us this picture of wholeness, where we could become, he says, perfect or complete. And as we go through this teaching, we want to not miss this, that James is not saying you need to say nice things. I mean, he's kind of saying that, but there's a bigger picture here. He's not just saying say nice things. He's saying you should have the ability to control what you say. That's the issue he's getting at. It's an issue of the heart. The work of the heart is a process. Very few of us have experienced an immediate change of heart. There's a process that happens. God is at work in the heart of every single Christian. When you give your life to Jesus Christ and you surrender yourself to him, the Holy Spirit, God himself, takes residence inside of you. And as he takes residence inside of you, he's transforming you as you yield your heart to him more and more to Christ-likeness. 
The Bible talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And one aspect of being filled with the Holy Spirit is not like we have this pitcher of Holy Spirit and we need more, so we pour the pitcher into our souls to get filled. Filling with the Holy Spirit in its truest sense is when John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease, John 3.30. Filling of the Holy Spirit is when we yield more and more of our wills, more and more of our lives, over to the God who's residing in ourselves. That's being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's a process that has to happen over time with God's hand. But an indicator of what level that has happened in our hearts is the words that come out of our mouths or onto our platforms. So let's look at these three ideas that James gives us now. First of all, number one, the tongue is small and unassuming with massive impact. We kind of talked about this already. The the tongue is small and unassuming, but it has this massive impact. Impact for uplifting or impact for destroying. Look at verses 3 to 5. When we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue, a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue, by all accounts, can create enormous amounts of good or enormous amounts of destruction. James is saying the tongue is like the control center of a person. And at the same time, while it's that, it's also the hardest part to control. Being self-controlled in what we say or what we write can be one of the most difficult things we do as human beings. However, it is imperfectly possible to do. James gives us this vision And the reason James says take control of your tongue is because it leads to our wholeness, to our completeness. If you have enough spirit-empowered self-control to control your tongue, then you'll have enough spirit-empowered self-control to guard your life and guard your heart and guard your soul. James is encouraging us to change the things that go on inside us by the Spirit of God that in turn will change the words that come out of our mouth. And he's saying this very small thing, this tongue, can control a very big thing, the wholeness of our hearts. Think about it. A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole animal. Think about a tiny rudder on an aircraft carrier. A small spark can set acres and acres and acres of forest ablaze. James is alerting us that there's something very small that we possess, this tongue, that can affect so much. The health of our souls and the health of other souls. Our words can either heal or crush. They can nourish or harm. 
They can encourage or destroy. They can slander or love. They can protect or expose. They can flatter or rebuke. James says your path of wholeness will be dependent upon what you do with your words because out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. This is vitally important for the follower of Jesus Christ. Words matter because there's this connection between our words and our soul. You can't separate those. He goes on to give us another idea, number two. The tongue is like a consuming fire. Look at verse six. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It can corrupt, it corrupts the whole body. And then this sentence blew me away as I was studying it this week. Sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. The imagery that James is giving us here is that even hell itself can control the tongue because the tongue has the ability to destroy and fulfill the mission of Satan in hell. How sobering is that? All of us come into this place today. And this is saying all of us come into this place with a weapon of mass destruction. We carry with us a weapon of mass destruction. And what's scary about this weapon of mass destruction that we carry is it's not easily controlled. That's the picture he's pointing here, he's drawing here. We have very little control over our tongues. That is why we need to be people of wholeness, people of self-control, following Jesus. One of the words that describes Jesus was that Jesus was meek, M-E-E-K. We don't use that word much in our language today. But the meaning of meek is powerful. Meek means power under control. Jesus had all the power of heaven and all the power of God, but he has it under his control. The same is true with our tongues. We need to be people who are meek. We have the power of life or death, and we need to have the character to control that by the power of God and his spirit. Look at verses 7 and 8. He paints another picture here. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The idea he's saying here is you can take a lion and train it so a performer can stick their head in the lion's mouth and the lion keeps his mouth open. You could take a cobra and train it so that when it hears songs coming out of a flute, it dances. You could train an orca whale to have somebody ride on the orca in a show, but yet you can't control the tongue. That's the picture he's painting here. Many of us, all of us, can resonate with this phrase, I should not have said that. There's not one human being on earth that can't truthfully say that statement. 
At some point in our lives, we've all have said something we wish we haven't. And I've seen it multiple times, as many of you have too. What starts is like a desire to be in the know or have significant information about another person or even have false information that can be evil, can destroy people, can destroy marriages, and can destroy friendships. With a sentence spoken or a phrase posted, we've seen reputations destroyed, careers ended, and marriages traumatized because of untruthful words. I have seen whole churches engulfed in controversy because one person couldn't control their tongue. The image James gives us of the tongue is so appropriate because something that is wild and untamed is dangerous. A tongue can bring amazing life or horrible death. The reason James is making a big deal out of this is because our tongues affect so much. They affect our personal souls and they affect the souls of others. A common sin we all struggle with in the church is the sin of gossip. I'd like to look at that and see how James focuses on that. Again, going back to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 18 says, the words of, the, of a gossip are like choice morsels. What a great picture. They go down to the inmost parts. When you think about gossip, why is it a problem? Because there's something about it that's a choice morsel for us. There's something about it that satisfies us temporarily and satisfies well. It goes down into the inmost parts. Even though it's sin, it satisfies temporarily, but it causes so much damage. Because here's the deal. The reason it feels so good is because there's something broken inside of us that's trying to be healed by the use of gossip instead of the real true medicine, which is healing in God in Christ. There's something inside of us that longs to feel better about ourselves, and gossip is the temporary drug, the quick fix that will deliver it. We love being in the know about something that we have no right to be in the know on. And we get something from that. And that's the part that we have to realize is damaging. It gives us this sense of power, this sense of importance. In a sick way, we're trying to repair what's broken inside of us, though we don't even realize what we're doing at the time. But if we can feel superior enough or special enough because we have information and we could tell somebody and say, look how important we are, we have this information, we will get something from that that tells us we're enough and we're okay. It's a distortion for the image of God. God wants us to know that we are enough because we are his children. We are sons and daughters of the living God, the king of the universe. That's where our identity comes. Because of that, we are enough. And when we distort healing by going into gossip, we're, act, we're taking a false substitute to try to fix ourselves. Gossip is 
inappropriate reports given to inappropriate people and inappropriate times. And what is being said in gossip might be true. Oftentimes it is. In fact, that even doubles the stakes because we know this true information we can spread around. And everyone will know that we knew it first. And that makes us feel whole falsely because it really leads to brokenness. Or when it's not true, then we're just spreading rumors and falsehood. James says every time we do things like that, we are setting precious and valuable things on fire. Every time we get that quick fix, we're setting things on fire. And it says that hell itself rejoices when a tongue does that. Do you know that listening to gossip is just as much of a sin as spreading gossip? Proverbs 17.4 says, A wicked person listens to deceitful lips. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. You might not struggle with spreading gossip, but maybe you really enjoy hearing gossip. You know, other people can tell. People who share gossip can tell the people who want to hear the gospel morsel versus the people who want to protect images of God. This can be really convicting, but that's good. It's good. It shows the hand of God is in our life desiring to bring transformation. And so we repent of these things. We turn to God and we invite him into our lives and we hold each other accountable as a church. Later, James says, confess your sin to one another. There should be somebody in your life that you can confess your sin to and say, this is something I struggle with. And when it comes into the light, then the Holy Spirit attacks that and begins to work on that part of that sin in your life. And accountability can happen in a church family where we can give each other permission to say, you know what, I love you and I care about you, but I sense like you're going to tell me something we shouldn't really be talking about, and so let's not talk about that. That's protecting images of God. That's wholeness. That's stepping out of brokenness and becoming whole. James is offering hope and healing here. Not only is there a danger of destruction, but you can give people life with your words. You can shape people into all God intended them to be with your words. It's like this picture we can go into a pottery shop with a sledgehammer and just start smashing everything to pieces, or we can be the sculptor at the potter's wheel with a lump of clay, molding and shaping and having a piece of shaping this person's soul into what God wants them to become. We can smash or destroy, or we can be instruments shaping people one inch at a time into the beauty that God created them to be. Why would we pick the damaging We can also walk through life with the capacity of being a destroyer of souls or a giver of life. Don't you want to help people 
become all God intended them to be? Don't you want to reach the end of your days and have people say, that person loved me to become more like Jesus. I felt safe with that person. That person made me always feel valued. That person always made me feel like I was important. They helped me to live a life of goodness, and they encouraged me to live in the ways of God. What a legacy that is. Finally, number three, the third idea is a person of wholeness has a tongue of integrity. The person's faith is integrated into what they say. Look at verses 9 to 12, and notice the inconsistency in his examples here. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. We curse things that are God's image. Verse 10, out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Verse 11, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. He shows brokenness, inconsistency. And he's giving us a picture of wholeness. Our tongues can bring life and death, or they can heal and encourage. And the picture James is leading us to is a tongue that behaves according to the integrity of our hearts is what we should look for. That what we believe about God's goodness and holiness matches and is reflected in what comes out of our mouths and on our posts. The good work that Jesus is doing in our hearts is magnified and displayed in our conversations, in our posts, and in our texts. Look at the differences, praises and cursing, fresh water, salt water, fig tree bearing olives, grapevines bearing figs, salt spring, fresh water. You see the... He's painting this broken picture of opposites, and he's saying the follower of Jesus is whole, undivided. Jesus knows that if our hearts are divided or broken, then the words that come out of our hearts will be divided and broken. Look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, 45. He said, a good man brings good things, out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Jesus said, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So if we want to correct our speech, we have to deal with our heart. Because our speech is nothing more than the overflow of our heart, good and evil. Our speech is like what we see on a boat above the waterline, but it's connected to what's happening below the waterline. For our mouth speaks what our heart is full of. So this is actually a condition of the heart. The words we speak 
come from an overflow of what's going on inside our hearts. What's inside of us cannot be kept hidden. We think we can hide it, but that's a lie we tell ourselves. As one commentator said, your tongue is the hinge on which the door of your heart swings. And when you speak, you open your heart wide to the world and people see what's inside. Don't ever think you can cover the real you. Who we truly are as people is more visible to others than we really realize. Our words call us out. Our words reflect who we are and what's truly going on inside. Our words come from the overflow of what's happening in our heart, good, bad, and ugly. So if you don't like what you're saying, deal with your heart. Get your heart right with God. We all feel tempted to walk in ways that make us fit in with the worlds that we're part of, whether it's our work world, our neighborhood world, or even our home and our family. We want to be accepted. We want to fit in. And so we're tempted to sound like those people. But we need to realize that when we sound different than the people around us are talking, because speech is a heart issue, when we sound different, it's a beautiful indicator that the living God is in our heart, active, changing us, transforming us to be more like his son. We will struggle with this, but I encourage you, don't willfully embrace a wicked tongue. Try to display grace. Walk in wholeness. Let your speech be showering grace and love and mercy to others. Instead of walking in brokenness, walk with what we know is true, not only about God, but about other people in our lives. That every single human being is a masterpiece created in God's image. Whether you agree with them or not, they are. Bad speech requires heart surgery. So what do we do with this? This is convicting. You're probably saying, well, you shut up and sit down already. I had to deal with this all week. So what do we do with this? I just have one thing. I only have one thing here, and that's bring your sinful and broken soul to Jesus. Bring your sinful and broken soul to Jesus. We realize sinful things about ourselves and it makes us feel shame. We have to remember conviction is a good thing. Condemnation and shame is not helpful. Conviction leads us to Christ. Condemnation leads us to hell. Jesus is not condemning you when you notice sinful things in your speech. Jesus is longing to enter that place of your heart where that wicked speech came from so that he can bring his life and his healing and his transformation. Jesus is a perfect savior. He's not put off by your sin. He wants to go after it and bring healing so that you can move from being broken to be whole, 
That's who Jesus is. That's the kind of savior we have. He's attracted to the ugly things that make us cringe because he wants to bring healing there. He can handle it. When you say things that make you cringe, the fact you cringe is good. That's God. But he doesn't want you to stay in the cringe. He wants you to run to Jesus and say, will you heal that part of me? Will you grab my heart? Will you deal with my brokenness and make me whole? Hebrews chapter 5, 2 describes Jesus so preciously. It says, he, Jesus, is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and who are going astray. Jesus deals with us in our sin as his children gently, not harshly. He doesn't stand there with arms crossed or fingers pointing or with anger. He stands as a savior who's gentle and humble in heart, willing to forgive and restore, who wants us to be more whole than we wanted ourselves and is eager to help us in that process. Jesus deals gently and only gently with sinners who run to him with inconsistent lives and say, will you make me whole? You will never, ever, ever be able to fix yourself. You won't. You have to run to Jesus. And Jesus is eager, willing, able to enter the gross parts of your life and make you whole. That's his job as our Savior. Dane Orland wrote this. What elicits tenderness from Jesus is not the severity of the sin, but whether the sinner comes to him. Whatever our offense, he deals gently with us. If we never come to him, we will experience a judgment so fierce it will be like a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth at us. If we do come to him, as fierce as his lion-like judgment would have been against us, so deep is his lamb-like tenderness for us. That's our Savior. That's Jesus. You don't have to be afraid You don't have to be full of shame to run to him. Run to Jesus and experience the tenderness of God when you bring the ugliest part of your life before him. The Bible's not just telling us that Jesus loves us instead of scolding us or condemn us. The Bible shows us how he loved us. Jesus wasn't staying up in heaven just dispensing grace and mercy. He came down and entered into our brokenness. Jesus is an expert at coming down and meeting us and putting his arms around us when we are at our worst and dealing with us in a way that we need. He deals gently with us in our sin when we come to him and it leads us into life and wholeness. That's our Savior. If you sense sin, shortcoming, failure, brokenness in your life, don't let sleep come to your eyes tonight until you've run to Jesus. Don't let your head hit the pillow until you run to Jesus and let his grace and his mercy enfold you 
as you repent and confess your sin to him. Let's go before God now. Before I pray, I'm just going to give you a moment of silence. Perhaps you want to run to God in your own way, in your heart right now. Do that in these moments. And allow the gentle and tenderness of our Savior envelop you in this place.